Hey everybody, welcome to another AdOps Podcast. This week on the podcast, we have Shalin Dar back, who's the founder of the Dar Method. Shalin put out a really, really interesting report where he basically demonstrated how easy it is to spin up a fake publisher site, fill it with content, fill it with bot traffic, and then prove that it can beat all of the industry standard filters such as IAS, double verify, and moat. Uh, to me, this is one of the most interesting episodes we've ever done because it really shows just how easy it is to commit online fraud. So Shalin was able to do this in just a couple hours uh, and make a site that's profitable in under a week. So if you kind of expand that out to what it says about the industry, it kind of leads me to think that fraud is even worse than we originally thought. So you can apparently buy traffic that's wired to beat all of the industry filters. And in the test that Shalin did, most of the filters caught well under 50% of some of the traffic. Some caught under 20%, meaning that you know you'd get away with this pretty quickly. You know, I don't normally press our audience to share our content, but I think if you're on the media buying side, this is something that should be demonstrated. So we're going to include in our blog post at adpipes.io/blog Shalin's full report, where he basically shows with screenshots and GoDaddy logs exactly how you did this. And the fact that you know you can go from zero to profitable in a week means that there's probably a ton of online fraud out there. Uh, thanks to everyone who subscribed. If you want to subscribe to anyone else, you can do that at adpipes.io slash blog. Um, and without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another AdOps Podcast. Here again with Shalin Dar, who's the founder of the Dar Method. How's it going, Shalin? Good, Dan. How are you? Doing all right. So we had you on the podcast probably two or three months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to have you back on because you're kind of preparing to publish a big study that you guys put together just about how easy it is to buy and monetize websites with fraudulent traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought the study was interesting. Uh, when are you putting it out? It should be out June 10th okay. officially, but we've prepared it and we circulated it with a few friends and uh, you know, you've seen it already. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the official release is Junta. Uh, this is just part one, actually, of a series of studies that we're doing. So, um, this is kind of a basic study and, uh, the next ones that we're working on are a bit more extensive. Yeah. So why don't you explain kind of at a high level what you guys did and then we'll go into it. Sure. So, uh, basically one of the conversations that's going on in the industry about fraud is, you know, are you using a third party verification vendor? And that has, uh, you know, there's good and bad to this, but that has become kind of the standard of, are you doing anything about fraud? Okay. Well, if you are, then you have a third party vendor, uh, software monitoring your traffic. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to show that that's not a perfect solution. Um, there still have to be, you know, internal human practices that help you stay vigilant against becoming a victim of uh, ad fraud. So what we did was we created a dummy site called eCelebnews.com. Uh, we picked a monetization partner and we picked this partner based on a 100% you know, fraud-free guarantee, which we thought was ridiculous. We ran 100% robotic traffic to it, yep. uh, which cost one-tenth of a cent per click. And it was designed to pass the IAS double verify and moat filters. Yep. And we put... Um, a series of verification pixels on there and we saw how they performed against each other. And what'd you guys find? Well, since the traffic was engineered to pass IAS and double verify and moat, um, IAS did not perform well and moat did not perform well. 
but the agnostic filters performed better. Yeah. Uh, one of them was exceedingly better, uh, which was Oxford Biochronometrics. Yeah. And uh, IAS actually only caught 17% of the robotic traffic, and yeah. Moat only caught about 40% of the robotic traffic. So they're finding something, but not surprisingly, because this traffic is engineered to beat these things, the vast right. majority of it's getting through. Right. Yeah. And since the uh, other company, Oxford Biochron, it wasn't designed to pass their filter, they actually caught 90% of the traffic as robotic. So would you say in a way that using a detection pixel is kind of like in the cybersecurity world using an antivirus program where it's something you should be doing, but it's by no means totally sufficient cyber protection? Exactly. Uh, that's actually a great analogy because you, know, you can have an antivirus software on your computer, but that's kind of like a second layer of protection in case you make a mistake. So. Yeah. Just because you have an antivirus software doesn't mean you go clicking on every download here button that you see on the internet. Yeah. Because, you know, there's certain human practices like, uh, you know, we discussed last time was, are you doing the advanced install when you're downloading a product to, you know, deselect the bundled in products? So those yeah. type of human practices are, should be your first layer of protection, uh, before your antivirus has to do any work. So kind of digging this into further detail, so uh, you essentially set up a site, I don't know if you've named it yet, um, eCeleb News, yeah. and then filled it with essentially fraudulent traffic, mm -hmm. set up a monetization partner, and then proved that it, the vast majority of the traffic beats all of the um, filtration pixels. Kind of what, right. did, what did you almost like take away from that? Like, obviously it's stuff you know, but like, what do you hope that most people in the industry will see from this? Um, well... First thing is that the filters don't work. And, you know, these are major, major filters. And not, to, I guess, not to say that they don't work. It's that there are workarounds to this if you yeah. are trying to commit fraud. And, you know, you have every financial incentive to be finding those little hacks here and there. Uh, and these traffic generators, we've discussed this before, but it's not that they, you know, reverse engineering, I think, gives it a little bit too much credit. It's kind of a brute force trial and error uh, most of the time to just see yeah. what passes, what doesn't, and then take the types of traffic that pass and sell that out in the traffic vendor market as, you know, IAS pay-per-click traffic. And uh, the first page of the report actually is a bunch of screenshots from LinkedIn of all places where people are openly selling cheap click traffic that passes verification filters. Yeah, and your report did a good job of calling this out. It's not like you're like you're meeting shady people in trench coats at parking garages in the middle. Exactly, of the night. Like, this happens on very mainstream platforms, right? And, and you know, it's, it's they are comfortable enough doing this that they're doing it openly on a professional social network like LinkedIn. You know, it's yeah. not that they're you know sending anonymous emails and like have an anonymous private site that sells this traffic. You know, it's with your name, with your company name on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that it's it's harder to pirate movies and books and music than it is right. to buy fraudulent traffic. Right. Like, you at least know, need to go to special uh, sites and download custom programs. Right. And then have a little bit of know-how. Yeah, Pirate Bay doesn't have a, uh, you know, Facebook page. Yeah, exactly. You like, can't just Maybe they them. do, but they don't They don't promote their downloads on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. And so when you, when you think about kind of like how these filtration pixels work, like why is it that these traffic providers can beat them with such a uh, high percentage because the verification vendors are always playing catch up 
Yeah. So they're always, you know, one step behind. And, yeah. you know, that's just, that's just the way it's set up. I mean, there's no way you could be completely ahead of the traffic vendors. And part of it is, you know, just the pure financial incentive. Uh, because, you know, I've spoken to engineers at, uh, these verification companies and they're brilliant. You know, like a lot of times I have to make them slow down because they're just talking on a whole other level mm-hmm. and I have to catch up to where they're at. Uh, but again, they don't always have a full understanding of the business of ad technology and how all yeah. this, you know, plays into that. But they're really good at what they do. It's just that they are not being compensated nearly close to the way that people generating this traffic are. And uh, people generating the traffic have a lot more to lose because if their traffic isn't passing these filters, they're not making any money. Yeah. Um, you know, not, and I, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but if the verification filter isn't working for a period of time, that engineer or that team is still being paid their salary. Yeah, true. Yeah, in a way, it looks like risk controls in banks where, mm-hmm. like, it's tough to say when risk controls work because nothing happened. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it's very tough to, like, call out the return on investment in those things. Because it's tough to, you know, say what you mitigated and never happened. Right. Uh, there's that, you know, I think it's like a Dilbert joke, but, uh, when the management goes to the IT department when nothing is going wrong and, you know, everything's fine, they go, what do we pay you for? And then when something goes wrong, they just go back to the IT department again and say, what do we pay you for? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think that's, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's a little bit sad too. Yeah. I would say the same thing. I mean, you think in almost like the, the cop robber analogy like cops never make as much as criminals <laughs> right like ever 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 um, right and i think we made this point uh probably talking off the podcast but it's tough to say that or like the po- the point you want to make clear is that the verification platforms are doing a good thing and mm-hmm. this would definitely be worse if they didn't exist right but it's really on the buyers of media to realize that it's not going to cover you 100 percent. right um you know if there were no filters, then I think, you know, it would just be mayhem. I mean, at least there's some standard and there's some deterrent and you're making these traffic vendors at least work harder to do this. Again, you know, IAS caught 17% of the traffic, which isn't good performance wise in this study, but they're still preventing blatant fraudulent traffic from being monetized. Yeah. And they're still offering, you know, that security layer but what i'm afraid of is that it's giving too much of a false sense of security that you know all right this is reporting that you know fraudulent impressions are down so fraud is going down and so we can let our guard down and i think that's where the big problem is is people are letting their guard down do you think any of any of passing this message along to the industry should be on the filtration pixel companies themselves like should moat be warning their customers that we can't cover 100 percent of this I mean, theoretically, yes, but I don't know if that's a smart way to promote your business. That, yeah, I agree. You know, hey, we're never going to be fully effective. Yeah. And so one of the other th- interesting things you hit in your study is that most of these traffic generation companies are actually running publisher sites and functioning as customers of right. Moat and all the other guys. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that's completely just as like a cover-up, but it's more of a functional way of what their business is, is – I'm creating this traffic. I should also know how this traffic is working myself. Yeah. And a lot of these guys will make recommendations on, okay, this is a good monetization partner. Uh, traffic is performing well in this network. You should try selling here. 
And, you know, it's kind of like a full service suite that they're offering publishers as, you know, here, we can sell you this type of traffic, passes these filters, and here are recommendations based on all our other clients, what they're telling us, uh, this traffic is performing well in these networks and these exchanges, and you should try selling it there. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, in talking, I, I assume you talk to most of these guys via just messaging, but like, is it possible to get inside the head of a company that's generating fake traffic? Like, what are of course. They, like, are they uh, under I mean, the impression, what do they think they're doing? Like, uh, I mean, do they I have very, very candid conversations with them, and yeah. they, they're probably the most cynical about the industry. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have a very, very good understanding of the business of that technology. And that comes with, you know, always looking for the loopholes. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, uh, not to go on a tangent, but like when no, Facebook, let's go. Facebook was, uh, you know, in the initial stages of the live rail acquisition, you know, all the arbitrageurs and, you know, like what people call fraudsters in the industry that I know, all of us, you know, were just like, are you serious? You're going to buy live rail? Because we knew yeah. how riddled with fraud it was. But, you know, if you ever asked any of us, well, how much do you think they should pay for? Uh, I don't know, five million, 10 million. And they came out with, you know, $400 million. And we were just, oh my God, this is a disaster. Wow. And, you know, just recently now they've shut it down. Um, but the thing is, based on conventional metrics of business, it passed all the checks. Yeah. You know, number of publishers, number of impressions, profit margins, every, like everything checked out. But if you actually looked at what was going on there behind the scenes, you know, it was very, very evident that most of this inventory is fraudulent. Um, so to come back to, you know, the conversations with people that sell this traffic is they are not, they don't have a lot of respect for the institution of advertising because they see how not corrupt, but kind of ignorant it is. Uh, you know, one of the people that I spoke with, uh, she said, you know, they, if they are not willing to do the math and realize that there's not, you know, 50 million people in the United States that have, you know, Toyota Forerunner purchase intenders in the last week, then they deserve to buy shitty traffic. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, I, I mean, for, I was like taken aback a little bit, but then I was like, you know, you might be right. Uh, if you're not willing to actually dig into these numbers and look beyond, you know, the surface of the reports that you get, then, you know, not that you deserve it. I wouldn't say you deserve it, but it, it's, there's so much more you could be doing to prevent becoming a victim of this and if you're not going to do it then it's just going to continue yeah i mean it's such a gray area saying that this industry screwed up and someone is going to rip these people off anyway so right like we may as well be doing it like to me it's right. like just over the line of like like some blind drunk guys wandering around someone's gonna mug them right like it may as well be us like <laughs> yeah uh, uh like I, I certainly see how with enough like with overwhelming financial incentives and being jaded about the industry and maybe being, you know, fucked over yourself mm-hmm. once or twice, yeah. you get there. But it's still, to me, it's over the line. But then again, like the advertising industry is super blurry. Like, how is that? It's worse then, but is it fundamentally worse than charging for ads on the footer of a page for five years that no one ever saw? Right. Um, like, obviously, that's not as bad, but it's kind of a sliding scale. Of like taking advantage of brands and agencies that don't know what they're doing. And then there's always these kind of, you know, retroactive 
discussions, you know, with all this hindsight and yeah, you know, agencies, agencies are saying now that, well, that was always priced in, you know, obviously we were always aware of, you know, issues with viewability and that was priced in. So, um, you know, you, I don't think it's as easy to say the same about fraud. Yeah. Because fraud is a whole other level. Um, you can't just say that, you know, we price the fraud in too, because you can't quantify the fraud really. And, uh, I think that's the larger point that we're trying to make with this study is a lot of the numbers and estimates that you've seen, you know, you might, you shouldn't completely take them at face value because so much of it goes undetected. So if you're looking at these estimates, of uh, you know, 10 billion, 18 billion, 7 billion of advertising budgets are lost to ad fraud. Can you really take that at face value when a major detection platform is only detecting 17% of very simple robotic yeah. traffic? Yeah, I agree. It's like any uh, kind of like high level proclamations about an industry. Like the individual assumptions are just super important. And trying to measure yeah. anything that is trying not to be measured is really, really hard. Right. Uh, it's like trying to measure cybercrime or illegal immigration. Like, right. Like, I mean, people yeah, are trying they're to just estimates. Like, yeah, they're just estimates. Do you get a sense of if the fraudulent traffic industry is growing? Like, in a way, this has been around so long that and technology is easier to build. There's got to be more ways of generating freight traffic. Like, so. You must there are like the dark side of the ad tech industry. Like, is that booming right now? I've had different conversations with different people, and I think those are mostly based on their personal experiences. Uh, I've yeah. spoken to traffic vendors that have told me just outright, very confidently, that this is dying. This business is dying, and so we're going to have to switch to something else. Yeah. And I've spoken to traffic vendors that say that I mean, business has never been this good. Um, and part of that, you know, has to do with advertising budgets are going up. And a lot more money is being shifted to programmatic and yeah. digital in general. So it's, you know, not necessarily that all the CPMs are going up and it's not that there's just so many more people on the internet. So that traffic has to come from somewhere. And I think one good thing that I'm seeing is that, you know, people are starting to have conversations about source traffic, but they still consider that just some shady looking traffic vendor when any type of purchase traffic is potentially dangerous when it comes to fraud. Yeah. You know, the native platforms were an amazing content promotion tool when they started out. Um, but when you see that you can put one of these native widgets on one of these dummy pages and run robotic traffic to it and generate click revenue, it means that, you know, you could also be buying this robotic traffic on a high click price from a native platform. And it's yeah. hard for these native ad platforms to control that. I mean, you're kind of relying on publishers to only send good traffic. Uh, I think some of them are implementing these third-party solutions, but again, that's not a perfect solution as we've uh, seen with this report. Yeah, in a way, it's got to be a completely different type, not a completely different type, but an easier version of traffic arbitrage when you can get places like native platforms to pay such higher click-through rates. Right. Whereas like... I mean, the, the perceived value is much yeah. higher there. And you have the additional problem, like you said, of once a bot clicks into a Taboola widget, it's then mm -hmm. in Taboola's network. And right. it lands somewhere. Right. Um, yeah, it's such and an interesting it, problem. It could be a bot that's, you know, 
only been programmed to go to a page, scroll up and down and click a few times. It could be a bot that is programmed specifically to take advantage of this and just, you know, go through as many clicks as possible. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I don't want to, it, this might sound like <laughs> fear mongering, but you don't know, you know, there's so much uncertainty with how bots behave. And you can see that with not only the number of verification companies, but how advanced they're getting in their conversation. I mean, you know, look at a company like White Ops, uh, having you know, very in-depth security conversations and, you know, all these talks about you know, botnet hunting that even they acknowledge that, you know, these bot creators are always going to be a step ahead, but we just want that step to be as small and as short as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially, I mean, when you go back to your report, if someone's only catching 17% of traffic, I mean, that's good, but it's still better than 16%. And 19% would better, <laughs> right. be better than 17%. Right. You're saving dollar for dollar. Right. So, like, in a way, incremental gains do help the industry. For sure. Yeah, it's such an interesting problem. And kind of where would you say, like, the not the line, but like how much fraudulent traffic do you think this report says is on the internet i don't this is i have a problem when other people do this and so i'm not going to do the same thing as yeah. you know extrapolating a small study to just be representative of everything you yeah know? it's like lies damn lies and statistics yeah so my personal you know belief based on all the data that i've seen is you know if you're seeing an estimate for fraud which the general census you know across the industry seems to be between, you know, seven and 10 billion right now per year. I'd say, you know, multiply that by four. Yeah. Um, just given the amount, I mean, so many publishers buy traffic and it's so dangerous and it's just not really checked by anybody. I mean, it, you know, it's just been a part of the industry for so long because you started off, you know, with internet advertising with CPMs, you know, on MSN and we're like, $50 and CNET had like $100 CPMs. And now you have CPMs at 50 cents, $1. I mean, it's just, you know, the prices have gone so low. So you have to wonder, you know, that, okay, they're, everybody's making up for it with volume. And the volume comes from purchasing traffic. Yeah. Or and audience acquisition is kind of the nice term for it. And I think we hit on this the other time. It's like, how cheaply should you be able to get the attention of a thousand people? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, in a way, 50 bucks sounds almost more accurate. Yeah. Like, if you were to actually get 50 people to pay attention to something. Or right. A thousand people to pay attention to something. And with programmatic, you know, it's tougher because one of the studies done was, you know, showing how much of the money is taken by all the technology layers between an advertiser and a publisher. And the final number that their study came out with, it was, I think, an IAB and uh, Price Waterhouse study came up with 55% goes to the ad tech yeah. you know, as an institution, all the different layers. So even then, you know, with this $1 CPM, 55 cents of that is going to all the technology partners and the publishers getting 45 cents. So, you know, are they going to be able to sustain a business with 45 cent RPMs? It, you know, it's debatable. It, Depends on how cheap you're getting your traffic for, and at 45 cent CPM, unless you have you know 100 ads on the page, I don't think it's a very sustainable business. Yeah, I would think so too. Um, I'm not sure actually we've hit on this in this podcast yet, but one of the interesting things your report called out is how almost like quickly you can become profitable. Like I know you guys were very careful not to actually make any money off this. Yeah, uh, but do you want to talk about like what it took 
like days and man hours wise to spin a site up that starts making money? Uh, a week. Yeah, not a long time. I mean, you know, not a long time. And it, again, it depends on how careful do you want to do this. Uh, you can do it in a week if you want to have a sustainable uh, web property that you know, generates revenue for yeah. a year or more. If you're just, you know, picking up sites and throwing them away every month, you know, it can take two days with cheap traffic generation. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that we did was we purchased a domain on auction. So, you know, it was not registered this year. It was registered early last year. So, yeah. you know, it never, because you can just do the who is lookup mm-hmm. on any domain and see who is it registered to and how long has it been registered. And if I'm applying to a, you know, ad network or ad exchange as a publisher in March and my website was registered in February, that's, you know, a pretty big red flag. Yeah. Not to say that's impossible. I mean, given how many of these, you know, kind of viral content sites get spun up, you know, just in months and become, you know, very high volume sites through these uh, native ad platforms by just kind of circulating traffic. It's not an impossibility, but it's a pretty big red flag. So even to do that, all it took was a few extra bucks of paying an auction fee to buy an old domain. So you think it's definitely possible if you were to do this almost the worst way of just buy a domain, take mm-hmm. it from, you know, like zero to a million readers immediately. Yeah. You could still probably find someone to monetize it for you. Probably not as, as well as one of the premier networks, but. Right. Someone. I mean, you would go to a network that is a supply partner of one of the bigger networks. You know, that's, yeah. Everybody's looking, you know, especially a network's business is to grow their supply. They have sales. I mean, if you talk to any publisher, you could, they can tell you how many emails or calls they get from ad networks about, you know, Hey, we're integrated with this platform, this platform, you should work with us. You know, we guarantee high CPMs, blah, 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 short payment terms. You know, that's like a constant thing for any publisher. Yeah. Big or small. Yeah. So isn't you think that networks also have other networks that feed them? Right. Uh, it's, <laughs> that's how you get to that. 55%, um, you know, yeah, going to every true. technology layer is, you know, there's so many middlemen. And, uh, that's, you know, why, uh, header bidding became, you know, a thing was kind of, you know, price and priority management. And, uh, you know, now they're doing all these controls on latency. And I know you just talked about this recently yeah. on the podcast, but, you know, when you were doing a waterfall, like, so you are a publisher and you were working with a network then, you know, they have, the network has their own waterfall of four or five steps. And if they pass it back to you, you know, then you're putting it in your own waterfall. And so these latency issues are just, you know, you can't even track exactly what all is going on because that's why they see discrepancies. If, If I'm your network and I take this impression through, you know, a daisy chain of five steps and then send it back to you, your kind of life cycle is just cut in half. You know, you don't have the same luxury of sending it through another five steps in a daisy chain. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's such a complex and kind of like opaque industry. Um, yeah. The troubleshooting things like fraud and latency are so tricky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, there's some great experts on latency and that you had a few of them on. Yeah. It was really interesting to hear that. But, you know, with fraud, it's, I think understanding what the business of fraud is and how it is, you know, integrated with the ecosystem is really, really important. 
And yeah. I think the rhetoric is super important because I, I mean, I get super frustrated with listening to all these, you know, conference talks and all these things. And it's always, always this, you know, stupid word of these like hackers and these cyber criminals that are just, you know, it makes it out like people are just siphoning money out of the budgets and out of the exchanges when fraud is kind of built into the foundation of advertising supply. And I think that's what's really important to understand when you're approaching the problem. Like we talked about this, you know, 55% going to, you know, all the layers in between, just like that money flows down from the advertiser to the publisher with legitimate traffic, uh, it does the same thing with fraudulent traffic. So if you look at these fraud estimates, the majority of this money from fraud is going to ad tech companies. So ad tech companies have made billions and billions of dollars a year from fraudulent traffic. And I'm not saying that, you know, somebody is outwardly complicit or, you know, okay with selling fraudulent traffic as an ad tech company or an exchange, but you have to be aware that billions of these dollars are feeding the revenues of ad tech companies. It kind of makes sense that if you were going to start a new you know, exchange or ad network or whatever, you probably can't immediately compete for premier inventory. Like the premier inventory at this phase of ad tech's existence is kind of locked up in the major networks. You mm -hmm. have to start on the fringe. And then right. like you see, you know, all the major networks like the Appnexes of the world get bigger and then push that stuff off. Yeah. Like once they have enough revenue coming in from other places. Like like eBay grew with like Beanie Babies, not selling Lexus. Right. Like, right. So what kind of other reports do you have in mind to put out in the next um, couple months? So we are working on a few things. Uh, one thing is a uh, scaled up version of, you know, just a dummy site. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't give away too much because, you know, I don't want, you know, the whole point of mystery shopping is that, you know, do it kind of undercover. Uh, uh, I don't want everybody to be on guard. I'm not out to get anybody, but you know, it's all to prove a bigger point. One of the things we're focusing on is how cheap it can be to generate this traffic. So, you know, one of the people have been kind of taken aback by well, one tenth of a cent per click, but think of one step deeper of there's a business running on a profit margin with me paying that one tenth of a cent. So yeah. how exactly how cheap is it to generate this traffic? Um, yeah. Not to spoil and, it, but like how, how cheap can you get traffic? Ah, uh, I mean, I, there, we don't have a conclusive number, but you know, if I'm paying one tenth of a cent per click, it's their profit margin is probably 500%. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's not, it's very, very cheap. I mean, all you need is a cloud server. Yeah. Is, you know, and that's one of the things again with this conversation that goes on in the industry is, People prefer to focus on botnets because they make for more interesting conversation. But yeah. bot farms and, you know, data center traffic is just as important to be yeah. aware of. Yeah, man. It's super interesting. So where can people kind of learn more? So we'll publish, you know, some excerpts from this report on our blog, adpipes.io. Mm -hmm. um, but how can they get this full report if they're interested? Um, I should have it available online. Uh, you know, the pamphlet is available on SlideShare, uh, for download for yep. free. And, uh, this report will be available the same way. Obviously, anybody's welcome to email me, you know, personally for, yep. you know, additional information. Yep. There's obviously so much, only so much we can share just openly publicly. Yeah. But it'll be available for download online. And, uh, yeah, 
anybody that's interested in learning more can uh, always reach out to me through the website, which is darmethod.com. All right, sweet man. Another fascinating episode. We'll definitely touch base again once you have kind of the next round of studies out. Of course. I'm looking forward to it. Anything else you want to kind of like pass along to our audience? I would say please, please read and uh, engage in conversations about fraud because despite what all the uh, estimates are showing and the you know kind of press gimmicks, uh, fraud is reported as going down. Again, that's just what they are able to catch. And yeah. so fraud, you know, in reality is growing just as advertising budgets are growing. And uh, it's really, really important that everybody in the ecosystem, everybody involved in advertising learns and engages in conversations about fraud. Yeah, especially if you're on the buy side. Oh, I mean, desperately, desperately, if you're on the buy side. I mean, you the buy side is what controls all this. You know, the buy side is funding every ad tech company and every publisher and every fraud operation. So the buy side is in control of all this. Yeah. All right. Sweet, man. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Have a good one. You too.